I love you guys so much. Uh, if you haven't heard that this morning yet, I just want you to know that you are loved and you are welcome as part of this family. This is something that we love to say here at Legacy is that we're not just a ministry. We are a, we're a family and we really do our best to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to not just build a brand, but to cultivate a family. That's very important to us. We know it's very important to the Lord. So today's message is that we believe that the, the church that God is building here in Nashville is not just for Nashville. It starts here, but it's Nashville to the nations. Amen. Is that God has an agenda to write history and change the world through your life. If you believe that, just say amen. amen. Because history is supposed to be different because you are alive. If you are a Christian, if you are saved, if you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has called you to make an impact. He's called you to make a difference. And he's called you to leave this world a better place than you found it. A hundred years from now, Nashville's supposed to be better because you lived here. Even if you're just passing through, we count you as a part of this as well. Amen. So um, we've been doing this sermon series called the First 50, which is leading us to the day of Pentecost, which is a Jewish feast, which means literally 50. Uh, but we're celebrating Pentecost as 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that amazing Sunday where everybody breaks attendance records called Easter. Right. And so that's what we're leading up to. Next Sunday, guys, is the day of Pentecost. The reason why Pentecost is significant is not just because of the Jewish feast, but because of what happened in Acts chapter 2, right? Whenever the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church and some amazing things happened that day, uh, 3,000 people got saved. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's an awesome thing to happen in one day, huh? Hey, I'd be okay with that. I, we couldn't fit them here, but, you know, I'd be okay with 3,000 people getting saved in one day but so so the whole premise of this sermon series guys is basically this what did jesus do after he resurrected the, that first 50 days of the early church what was jesus up to because i'd have to think that whatever he did was mega important would you guys agree right i don't know about you but when my parents left me at the house as they were leaving for date night the last thing that they shouted up the stairs was the most important thing for me to remember Wash your clothes, vacuum the floors, you know, take out the trash. Anybody else in here? Now, my parents had no business leaving me alone with my three younger brothers because I was a terror to them. I mean, literally, we put my youngest brother, Spencer, who got married this last weekend, in a duffel bag and rolled him down the stairs for fun. I don't know why we did that, guys. We were terrible. But when you look at the behavior of the disciples and their denial and scattering of Jesus, you know, you might be able to compare them to us in a sense. It's like, you know, it doesn't seem like people worthy of investing such amazing commandments into. But nonetheless, your belief in yourself, Jesus believes in you so much more. You know, we covered this last week when we talked about the Great Commissions is that, you know, despite the doubt of the people present, Jesus never withheld his commission. Even though people were doubting, Jesus still commissioned them. And that's amazing. So what was Jesus up to for the first 40 days of the New Testament church? Acts 1 and 3 teaches us that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Speaking about the kingdom of God. 
This is that message that Jesus was shouting up the stairs right before he ascended to the Father. Hey, if you forget about everything else that we've talked about over the last three years, if you forget about the miracles, if you forget about that time I raised that girl from the dead, if you forget about that time I healed that man in the temple with the withered hand, if you forget about all those sermons that I gave, don't forget about these important pieces of the kingdom of God. Now, it would be awesome if the scriptures gave us a full PowerPoint presentation of Jesus sitting down on the mountaintop and explaining what the kingdom was like point by point by point, right? That would be great. But unfortunately, we don't have that outline for us in scriptures. But what we do have is we have these significant moments. We have these key situations that Jesus and his disciples find themselves in. And in the midst of that, he reveals key ingredients to a kingdom lifestyle. And we have to believe that the disciples heard, understood, and then began to practice the things that Jesus talked to them about in these 40 days because of what they did after he ascended. Right? They changed the world. They did something impactful that altered all of human history for good. They did something so spectacular with the message of the gospel of the kingdom that literally like a third of everybody who calls planet Earth home consider themselves to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a pretty powerful legacy. What would you guys think? So we know that they did do what Jesus commissioned them to do. And when you look at each of the gospels, you'll recognize that the most pivotal story after the ascension of Jesus is the story of the Great Commission. Now, I, I want to really hammer that point home just as we're getting started because uh, this is an encounter that is included in every single gospel, the Great Commission. It's included in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It has a different expression, but it's included in every single gospel, which tells me it is the most significant encounter post-resurrection. Okay, so let me just, just if you're taking notes, write that down. The most significant encounter that Jesus had with his disciples post-resurrection was this, the Great Commission. Think about how important the Great Commission is, okay? If this is the most significant encounter that Jesus has with his friends, it has to be incredibly significant for the church. Can I get two good amens on that, right? This is very important that we recognize this. And so last week, what we looked at was the word heavy commissions in both Matthew and Luke. And this week, we're going to look at the spirit heavy commissions in both Mark and John. So I want you guys to buckle up. We're going to do this message called commissioned by the spirit. Last week's word was commissioned by the word. And this week's is commissioned by the spirit. Are you guys ready for this? Okay, well, Lord, help us today because we need your help desperately to truly comprehend everything that you have for us in this moment. God, we know that we live in a broken world, in a fallen culture that, that you long to redeem. And God, we know that we need both the word and the spirit. So just like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, open up our minds so that we might understand the scriptures. Lord, burn within us, like those disciples said, God, so that we could see the impact on Nashville and the nations that you long to have. In Jesus' name, amen. So first we're gonna read the Great Commission from John, and then we're gonna turn over and we're gonna read the Great Commission from Mark. All right, John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. 
This is one of those scriptures, guys, to be honest with you, you, you read it and you're like, that's great. And you kind of pass over it because you don't really want to do the work of trying to discern what it really means, right? You're like, that's going to take me a long time. I'd rather just ask somebody else who studied this out a little bit more than me. Is anybody else ever tempted to do that, right? Okay. So it's like one uh, uh, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, everybody say Sunday. Sunday. So it's good to come to church. You just never know when Jesus is going to show up, right? On the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came in and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, check out that like, uh, well, there's a lot of commas in the Bible. So I was going to say the second, but it's actually the third. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Isn't this a similar picture to the church today? Is that rather than be out and about doing the father's business, we too oftentimes are huddled up next to each other, afraid of culture and simply talking to one another and not going after the assignment that Jesus has for us. It's a very similar picture of the church today. They're huddled up in fear that somebody might push back on them, that somebody might troll them on Facebook, you know, that somebody may persecute them. They're, they're sitting back thinking, you know, I'm not sure what to do next, but Jesus came in and stood among them. So in the midst of us, you know, being so insulated and fearful, we have to remember the promise that God gives to the church that Jesus is with us. That Jesus is standing right here, right now in the midst of the, in the midst of us. Like we really have to grasp that guys, because it's a true reality that right now in this moment, in this house, in the midst of us studying scripture, Jesus is here. Like right here. Jesus is standing in the midst of the church. That is his promise to us, right? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, right? He's here. Jesus is here. And he comes and he says, peace be with you. This is awesome also because how many of you know? Peace, fruit of the Spirit, right? This is your inheritance. Jesus comes to give these guys peace in the same way that Jesus comes to give us peace. It's peace everlasting. This is what the New Testament church, the bride of Jesus, receives for free abundantly and forever. You never have to pay for it or pay it back because it's already been purchased for you by the blood of Jesus on the cross. You have permission to walk in peace. So even in the midst of being fearful and insulated, Jesus speaks directly to your spirit. He says, peace, that's shalom. That's the fullness of peace. That's a real good peace. That's not like deuces, peace, I'm out. It's like the real holistic, fully filled kind of peace where you're at rest within yourself, knowing that God's got it all under control. That's a good kind of peace right there. What do you guys think? He says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. And then the disciples were glad. Somebody say joy. joy. This is another fruit of the spirit, isn't it? Yes. Whoa. Not only did Jesus come to bring peace, but Jesus came to bring joy. And this right here is a great understanding of what happens to our soul when we get a revelation of who Jesus is and what his crucifixion has paid for us. When we look into the hands of Jesus, when we look into the side of Jesus and we understand that we've been redeemed from our sin, that we've been redeemed from death 
and from decay, that we've been set free from our shame, what happens? We rejoice. This is our inheritance, guys. This is our portion. This is what Jesus paid for for you. That you didn't have to be scared and cower in fear, but that you could walk this life with peace and with joy. We, have, we just got through the introduction. I, I think it's going, this is a good story. Would you guys agree? This is a good story. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Somebody say double portion. I'll take it, Lord. As the Father has sent me. Now here's the commissioning part. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Man, God must believe in you a lot. Right? Everybody say, God believes in me. Oh, that's good. You, some of you guys should have shouted that. God believes in me. Doesn't that refresh you? God believes in me. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Whoa. It gets real weird now. Very mystical. You're like, Jesus? You were dead and you're breathing on me? It's resurrected breath. He breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, now here's where it gets real weird. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now we need a lot of help from the Holy Spirit to really understand what's going on here, huh? So notice this, the very first thing, at least in this, in this passage of John, Jesus comes in and the first thing he does is he comforts. Everybody say comforts. A lot of times when you get saved, that's the first experience that you have with Jesus, right? He brings you in and what happens? You get comforted, right? But soon after and in the same conversation, he then commissions them. So he starts with comfort and then he moves quickly to commissioning. You know, Jesus commissions people a lot quicker than the church does today. Think about the guy, you know, who all those demons were cast out of at the Gadarenes. Like chains couldn't even hold them down. Jesus heals them and delivers them and immediately commissions him as an evangelist to go back to his hometown to share his testimony. Now, if that guy got saved in one of our churches, he'd have to do at least two years of rehab, at least 62 sozos, and at least, you know, like 45 leadership schools before we let him set out the signs. You know, like, but that's just the way Jesus did things. He wanted you to understand that you don't have to be confident in yourself before you're commissioned. Is that Jesus has enough confidence in you from day one to say, hey, you may not feel prepared, but soon after the comfort, here comes something else. The commissioning. You're being sent. You're released to go. So for anybody out there that's thinking, man, I would share the gospel. I would testify. I would serve. I would volunteer. I would get involved in administering the kingdom of God, but I just don't feel like I'm ready yet. Jesus says you're ready. Because he commissioned people who were far less instructed than you. He was like, go, do it. You're like, I can't believe you believe in me. He says, yes, I'm sending you. As the same way that the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, which is our commission. But before the disciples could be sent, they needed to receive something. And this is important for us to all understand. If we're truly going to fulfill the great commission and the calling that God has upon our lives, we're going to do so not by our own strength, but by God's Spirit. 
the disciples needed something first, which is why Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathes on them. To accomplish the commission of God, you must receive the Spirit of God. Jesus freely and completely has given us his spirit, which to be certain is the very spirit of God. It is the power and the energy of Jesus's resurrected life. He said, here's God's spirit, and he breathed on them. Now, I know that this seems a little weird, and sometimes, you know, we see people on YouTube or whatever. It's like preachers breathing on people, and it's like, why are they being so weird? You know, but honestly, I mean, it's like it is kind of biblical, and I'm not making a case for breathing on people, so let's not start doing that. But <laughs> think about Genesis, okay? Think about when God first creates our first father, right? He, he's, he's, he becomes, he's got flesh, right? He's a human, but he's inanimate. Like he's, he has no life in him. He has no power. He has no strength. He has no ability to accomplish the very things that God intends for him. He has no capacity to execute on his purpose, but the father picks him up. And he breathes life into Adam and he becomes a living being. And then all of a sudden he's able to walk and to be and to do and to receive every good thing that God has for him and to do his purpose. This is very similar to that picture in the book of Genesis when Jesus is there with these disciples who are receiving a new life, not the first life, not the life of Adam but a new life, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ, the very God spirit that came up from him as he came up out of the grave and breathes it into his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the God spirit. Receive my strength. Receive my energy because what I am calling you to do, you need what is in me. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any and they are, for, and they are forgiven them, and if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, that is, I felt like I couldn't skip that, honestly, because it just, it, it just provides too much space for confusion. And I was like, I don't want to skip that. I want to just, just for a moment, would you guys allow me to dive into that? Okay, so let me say, it, say this. This passage right here, forgiving the sins, and then being forgiving, withholding forgiveness, and it being withheld, this, guys, is what the commissioned do. This is what commissioned people do. When we receive the Great Commission, we receive authority from Jesus to do the works of Jesus. What is a primary work of Jesus? Forgiving. Forgiving. Jesus is a priest, and Jesus has made us all priests. That means that Jesus has given us the priestly authority to release forgiveness. Now, don't get this confused. You don't have the ability or the power to absolve sin. Only Jesus has that power because last time I checked, you and I do not have sinless blood. So we can't get it confused. This is not about a position. This is about an action. This is not about us sitting on this throne and saying, oh, I now have the power to forgive you of your sin. And if I choose not to, you won't be forgiven. But that's the way that we read it, isn't it? Because we think of like, how is that possible, right? But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is the only one with the power to absolve sin. 
Have we made that clear? Jesus is the only one with sinless, spotless blood that has the power to wipe away all of your sin. It's only by his blood can we be forgiven. But the point here is this. When you receive the commission and when you receive the spirit, you become a grace-empowered, supernatural forgiver. Because you have the spirit, you now have the power to forgive. Rather than remaining offended by people that have sinned against you. This is what commissioned people do. They are forgivers and they are healers. We cannot forget that whenever Jesus gives the Holy Spirit and the Great Commission to the disciples in John, what he is giving them is the authority to forgive people that sin against them, which you need the Spirit for, amen? Because when I get sinned against, you know what I want? Justice and revenge. But Jesus says, no, no, you can forgive. And what this also means is that we release truth to people, proclaiming freedom to them once they repent. Think about this scenario for a moment. I thought this might be a good illustration. Think about when one of your friends, they sin. Now, they repent to God and then they confess to you, but they're wallowing in the shame. What this power is that God has given us, what this authority is that God has given us is to set them free from their shame by releasing forgiveness and proclaiming truth. We're telling them, you are free. You have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when they receive this, what happens? They rejoice and they are set free. And so this is part of our assignment. This is part of our mandate. Now, it would be great if we stopped there, but then there's that pesky verse there at the end that says, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, that line is a little bit more difficult to understand. It's almost like trying to tiptoe through a minefield. You're like, what is Jesus talking about here? But consider the illustration that I just brought up. Consider when a friend sins and doesn't repent and doesn't confess and refuses to acknowledge their sin after you've appealed to them in love. You must not provide them with the false hope that they are okay. That's what it means to withhold forgiveness because in a very real sense, you're withholding the truth of forgiveness. You do not tell them that they are fine when you know that the wages of sin is death. No, it's fine. I haven't been commissioned to you know, tell you that you're walking down the wrong path. No, you have been commissioned. You have been given the authority of Jesus to release forgiveness and and to release um, a truth. And this is part of that. This is priestly commissioned spirit empowered ministry. If someone is in sin, you let them know in love. And see, this is an authority that the church has forgotten. Because the church has been given the authority by Jesus to where we no longer have to be scared of sin. Because of the Great Commission for us as disciples, people around us should be constantly being loosed of their sin. We shouldn't be a church, guys, that's hiding out in fearful isolation Oh, we're so afraid of culture. We're so afraid of sin. We're so afraid of somebody doing something wrong. No, we have been given the authority by the Spirit of God and the Great Commission to go out and we're doing everything in love. I'm not saying, I'm not saying be mean, call people out and heap shame on them. I'm talking about you have been given the authority to free people from their shame. 
And when they're not walking down the right path, you're able to appeal to them in love using the scripture and community to say, hey, this is part of my commission. This is part of the spirit that Jesus has put in me. This is part of my assignment. This is part of what I'm called to do because I love you and I'm called to see people set free and a part of the family. Does that make sense? And this is one of the works that we should be performing as the great commissioned. The great commissioned, right? This is one of those works. So how many of you guys understand that scripture just a little bit better? Just, okay, four people. So it's all right. Listen, I'll try a different interpretation next week. Um, I fought for that. I want you to know. That was a tough one. All right. So, but you know what? Here, this is my motto, though. This is truly my motto. I, I told my wife this. I, I, here, here's the way I want to preach today. I want to lean into verses that scare me. Because I'm like, what does that mean, God? What does that mean? Because chances are, it, it, you know, if I'm skipping over it, that, then, then our community's skipping over it. You know, like, oh, no big deal. But hey, I want every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus to be precious to me. You know, I want every single thing that Jesus has to say about our family, about you, about me. I want it to treat it like gold. You know, let's exhaust it. Let's look at it from 10 different angles. Let's talk about it over coffee. Let's figure it out. Let's go on an adventure together of learning how to do kingdom life as commissioned people and, and people who are filled with the spirit. And this is one of the works that we're called to do. Let's look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 20. I'm going to look at some other, uh, other works. Now I told you today, today is the spirit heavy commissionings. Last week was the word heavy commissioning. So if you want to listen to commission by the word, you can go back and check that out uh, on the podcast, but this is the spirit heavy. And so I chose the one that was less weird first. All right, we talk about, a, you know, forgiving sin, all that stuff. We're going, we're going in now, guys. So just, you know, further down the rabbit hole. People skip over this one because this, you know, this is wild. If you grew up charismatic, you shout about this. But if you didn't, and guys, we're an interdenominational church. We have people from all backgrounds in here, you know. So that's just like, that's weird, okay? So, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Yes. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, now Mark's great commission is actually connected to Matthew's great commission. Consider the fact that Matthew said, you know, hey, go make disciples, right? What does he say next? Baptize them, right? And so this is a clear commission that comes from Jesus is that we are called to baptize people into the church, into the family, into the community, into the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, into the name of Jesus, right? And so uh, Mark is making an appeal. If you need to get baptized, Tuesday night, we're gonna baptize you, okay? Come to worship night, we're having baptisms up here. If you need to get baptized, come out, let's get baptized. Hey, Howard's coming, Howard's getting baptized. Howard, raise your hand. Howard, wave at me, bro. Just wave at me, Howard. He, Howard's getting baptized on Tuesday. Let's go. Howard, how old are you right now? How old are you? 88. 88, getting baptized. Let's go. Let's go. Howard's awesome. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This is very similar to the commission that we just read. 
right? As if somebody's not okay, we don't pretend that it's all fine. You know, we appeal to them in love saying, hey, you're walking down the wrong path. This is what the scripture calls sin. And God has a higher path for you to walk. Right. And so we don't want to pretend that people are not content, condemned when they're disobedient. And these signs, everybody say signs, will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Next slide, please. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. Now, check out this next line. While the Lord worked with them. Hold up. I thought the Lord just went into heaven. I thought he just ascended to the Father. But here the Bible clearly says is that the Lord worked with them. So you have to remember the great commission is the co-mission. It's not just the great mission. It could be the great mission. You know, a lot of times you think of commission. Like you've been commissioned. Yes, but it's also the co-mission. Meaning anytime you step out to obey Jesus' great commission, you don't do the work by yourself. That Jesus is right there with you. He's laying hands on people with you. He's speaking over people with you. He's praying over people with you, right? And the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message. Here's this word again, by accompanying signs. What were some of the signs? We talked about one sign already, but, you know, let's talk about some of the other signs. Now, we saw in John that when Jesus showed up, he brought comfort, right? And then he brought a commission. Now, when Jesus shows up uh, in Mark, the first thing he brings is not comfort. The first thing he brings is a commission. Right. But next, what does he bring? He brings confirmations, which is the signs. Right. He said, now, listen, if you're going to follow me and you're going to obey the Great Commission, something is going to follow you. And that's going to be signs. That's going to be signs. That's going to be miracles. That's going to be. You guys ready? The supernatural. Whoa. Right? Supernatural, unexplainable things are going to happen around commissioned people. Why? Because God does supernatural, unexplainable things. Right? A lot of times we think about the supernatural as being like, oh, well, raising the dead. Well, it, you know, sure. But how supernatural is salvation? You know, it's so stretching for us to think about somebody getting healed in the flesh. Why is it not so stretching for us to think that somebody's spirit could be absolutely transformed and they could be turned into a new creation? Like, that is the most supernatural thing ever. Right? But we're running on, guys, a little church history here. We're running on thousands of years of revelation by the church that salvation is, is, is something that is naturally occurring as we go out and we preach the gospel. So we're believing for salvation very naturally. It's something that the church has been doing for thousands of years. Now, not, not the entire church has been saying, hey, you, oh, you got a broken arm? Let's pray for you. You know, oh, you got a, your, 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 your daughter passed? Let's go pray for her, you know? And so for, for a lot of people, this is still kind new. But guys, you think about it. It's not that stretching. Jesus said the works that I do, you will do also because I'm going to the father and that I could give you the promise of the father, which is the Holy Spirit, which he just gave in John. Is this okay? Yeah. So the signs will accompany those who believe. Notice he didn't say it's just going to accompany the apostles. 
He said, anybody who believes, the signs can accompany, okay? So if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, these confirmations, these commissioning signs can follow you. And honestly, I believe that they will follow you if you invite them to. Now, the Great Commission is greatly practical. Go make disciples, baptize, and teach. But also, the Great Commission is greatly supernatural. If you follow Jesus, Jesus says supernatural miracles are going to follow you. Now, what are these miracles? Jesus gives us a list. Cast out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up serpents, drink poison and go unharmed, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Now, Jesus said these are signs, not doctrines. So it's important. You know, sometimes we can take these signs and turn them into doctrines and we base our whole church environment on, on these signs, right? But how many of you guys know that the sign is simply a thing that points to the destination. It's not the destination itself, right? Like if you're traveling the highway and you want to go eat at Chick-fil-A, <laughs> then you look for a sign that points you in the direction of the destination, Right? Amen. That's what signs do. They should point us towards the destination, which is Jesus. The signs are not Jesus. The signs are not God. The signs are not doctrine. They are supernatural miracles that help us understand the goodness of God better. I'm, I'm hype about it. I don't know if you guys are. So everybody that believes has access to this list. So what I decided to do, I just decided to make a short list. And the, and the short list is called this, Miracles That You Need to Start Expecting. You like this? Okay, so if you're taking notes, just write this down. Miracles that you need to start expecting. Number one, when you show up, darkness flees. When you show up, Darkness flees. Now, the way Jesus puts it is, he said, you're going to cast out demons. I fully believe this is about personal deliverance. Absolutely. We can pray over people. We can lead people into deliverance. We can lead people through inner healing. We can see people set free from literal demons. It's true. We actually can. But it's a bigger expression than that. When you zoom out, this is also about purifying the world. This is also about any environment that we step into should change as a result of us being there. We bring the Holy Spirit. We bring the commissioning. We bring the authority of Jesus. And as a result of us bringing those things, wherever we show up changes. Right? I love the analogy of being a thermostat and not a thermometer. We're not called to go into an environment and take the temperature saying, oh man, it seems pretty dark in here. We're called to go in and set the temperature in accordance not to the demonic atmosphere that's present, but in accordance to the will of God. Right. And so we make changes as we step in because of what is in us. Number two. Oh, this is a big one. You have permission to speak in tongues. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Listen, it, just imagine it like a permission slip. Did you ever get a permission slip in school? Right. You got permission to go to the bathroom. You took an extra 10 minutes. That was me every time, man. You know, wandering the halls, getting in trouble, right? You got a permission slip signed by your parents to go on a field trip. Just imagine in a sense that Jesus himself personally has given you a permission slip to speak in tongues. Now, I know that this is mystical. I know it's supernatural, but listen, guys, it's biblical. So there's that. Uh, it, also, it also has been present throughout church history. It also is present today throughout the church in the New Testament church. 
so you have the permission to speak in tongues. I know for some people it's a little strange, but that's the supernatural. And there are various expressions of speaking in tongues throughout the New Testament. But being true to the text here, Jesus is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it, it, it's about believers speaking in an unknown tongue inspired by the Holy Spirit. This happens in the Bible, happens throughout church history, and happens all over the world today. It is a free gift that all of us uh, can receive. And if you're interested in that, you're fascinated by that, you're like, man, I heard about that. I want to do that on Tuesday. We're going to pursue it. We're just going to make some space. Honestly, that we, it's just a gift. It's just something that God wants to give. We don't know how to, you know, legislate it. We're just going to show up and ask for it. Say, God, hey, look, we want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We want to speak in tongues. Hey, listen, all of the people who wrote the New Testament spoke in tongues. Right? So everybody who wrote the New Testament Bible that you read, all those people, get ready for it, spoke in tongues. <laughs> so there's that. Okay, here's point three. Divine health belongs to you. Jesus says that neither serpents or poison can hurt you. And that means that attacks on your physical body cannot stop your commissioning. You have been protected by Jesus. And no matter what comes at you physically, if you're sick, if you get a disease, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens to you physically does not nullify your commissioning. It does not nullify your commission. You may be in a bad season. You may be in a bad spot with your health, with your physical health, your physical body, but that does not nullify your great commission. There is still expressions and possibilities and ways that you can preach the gospel, that you can share the gospel, that you can disciple people. You know, it's absolutely possible. And I've seen that happen so many times with people who are in hospital rooms and they're discipling the whole floor. You know, they're, they're, bringing, they're bringing the presence of God into that room. The nurses know it. Everybody knows it. And they feel that peace and they, they feel the spirit that Jesus gave them. And so because you've got the spirit, you are stronger than any affliction. Than any affliction in your life. Okay, point four. Here it is. People you pray for get healed. Right? People you pray for get healed. You know, I should say on point three, you know, it's like Jesus says, hey, if you, if you take up a serpent, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't want to volunteer for that job personally. I mean, we've all heard weird stories, but do you remember in Acts whenever Paul was building the fire, right, after one of his ships sank? I mean, that happened three times in the life of Paul. That's crazy, right? And he's, he's just trying to build a little fire, and a, and a cobra comes up and bites him and latches onto his arm, right? And so we see this exact commissioning uh, taking place in the life of Paul as he shakes the cobra. I mean, he was like a real man's man. He was the initial Bear grills. Like, he just shakes the serpent off back into the fire, and he goes about making himself some pancakes. I mean, Paul is a legend. I played with the text a little bit there, but you guys get what I'm saying. He's a man's man, you know? And, uh, and you know, with, I don't want to volunteer, you know, for, for, for snakes or for poison, but I do know this, that if, if I happen to be attacked by the enemy in that way, God says, I'm covered. Yeah. Amen? So people you pray for get healed. Not only can you receive divine health, but you can release divine health. When you lay hands on people and pray, the Bible says that they shall recover. No matter how big or how small the illness is, 
This is not just about physical healing from the standpoint of, okay, you have a pain, you have an ache, I'm laying hands on you, I'm praying for you and you get healed. This is also about alleviating the suffering of others. As commissioned people, we are called to alleviate the sufferings of the world, of people who are in pain. We are called, even when they're not healed physically, we're still called to alleviate their suffering emotionally by being there for them, praying for them, uh, embracing them, you know, hugging them, just being with them. And when we love them, what happens? We bring joy. We bring peace. The same thing that Jesus brought to them initially is exactly what we're able to bring today. Each and every one of these signs, guys, are not just a benefit to us, but they're a benefit to all of creation. And so when we're operating in them with the right motive, we're not operating in them for the purpose of getting attention. We're operating in them for the purpose of healing the world. And that's the shift right there. Sometimes, you know, we make the supernatural all about how many testimonies that we can amass. You know, how, how can I get people to look at me because I do this supernatural stuff? That's not why Jesus gave us these gifts, guys. Jesus gave us these gifts to heal the world. I mean, who cares if anybody recognizes you as a result of you being obedient to the Father? You know, Jesus said, if you'll obey me, you know, in secret, I'll reward you in the open. I, I remember, um, and uh, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come. I remember when I was, when I was younger, I used to love to uh, just try to obey the Holy Spirit at any point in time, I felt like God was prompting me to go and do something. Sometime, you know, that looked like I would, I would literally stop by the hospital and just go into the ER and just see if anybody was there. And I'd just pray for them. And I would ask, hey, hey what's going on? You know, because people are there for a purpose, right? Hey, what's going on? Hey, I'm a youth pastor. You know, I made sure to say that so they didn't think I was too weird. And then I would just pray for them. Sometimes they would get healed, sometimes they wouldn't, you know. But I, I, it, I felt like the Holy Spirit always told me, you know, don't tell people you did this. Just, just, just make this your normal routine. Just make this your everyday, that you're, you're cooperating with your commission, that you're fueled by the Holy Spirit and that signs follow you because this is the kingdom lifestyle. Amen. So guys, let's stand up. We're gonna worship with the team. As you're standing today, I do wanna ask if there is anybody in here that is far from the Lord and you need to come home to Jesus today. Maybe you're stuck in sin. Maybe this is your first time being in a church ever or in a long time. If you guys don't mind, could you just close your eyes, everybody in the room, just for a moment? I just wanna create a safe place just for a moment for anybody in here that feels like today's my day, I need to come home to Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift your hand real quick? I just wanna pray for you. We're just gonna believe right now for complete restoration of identity, wholeness, freedom from sin, freedom from shame. Awesome, I see you, amazing. Anybody else? Today's your day, just come home. All right, guys, let's pray together. We pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent and I turn away. But I turn to you, my Savior, my life giver. And I receive salvation. I receive grace and mercy. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord, for an empowered life from this moment forward. I belong to you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.